So, yes, Mr. Henry Smith, delighted to have you on Moments That Rock podcast, because, my God, have I been looking forward to, to your moments, sir. You started, um, like, in the music business, for want of a better word, like, really at a top level with a band like the Yardbirds in that whole explosion of the of the 60s, didn't you? So tell us about a little bit about those days. Hey there, I'm Henry Smith. How are you? Hope you all are having a good day today. And I'm here with Tony. Tony's such a great guy. He came from England years ago to the U.S. I don't know why he ever did that. Where he was, Tony the Greek. He had a radio show. I think that's where I first ever heard about Tony. Really? But, yeah. So I'll do enough of that, and, I, and I'll get on to me. I was a young lad in Connecticut. Oh, back in the early 50s. I was born in the late 40s. I hate to even think about that. I'm almost 77 now. But so I, I, uh, my parents got a divorce and I moved up to uh, state in Connecticut and would go up to New Hampshire in the summer times. And there was this young band that was playing in and around there at the time. And they were from New York, from Yonkers, New York, a band called The Strangers. And they had this young drummer who I made friends with and, and, Hold on, Tony, one sec. I gotta, my dogs are going nuts. <laughs> Come on, kids. Come on in. <laughs> They'll be quiet if they're in here. They'll bark if they can't. So, hey, you just made a liar of me. Lay down. <laughs> so, in the summer times, I'd go up and see my father, and there was this young band called The Strangers, and they had this young drummer who lived in New York and came up and his parents had this efficiency cabin place that this gentleman's grandfather had started for young musicians or musicians in New York City who couldn't get away in this or couldn't even afford to get away, but they could take a train ride up to New Hampshire. And this would have been back in the in the 30s and 40s that he did this. So I ended up becoming pretty good friends with with that whole band. And I would help them out in getting shows and things like that in Connecticut. I got them in my high school. I got them other shows around. I got we invented our own shows in Connecticut in uh, New Hampshire at a ski resort. Well, the drummer's name was Stephen Tallarico. And Stephen always wanted to be a lead singer. That was his his dream. He had this room with posters on the ceiling. It was in the attic, so it was kind of a cathedral ceiling in a three-level house. It wasn't three stories, but three levels. I moved in there when I got out of high school. His parents let me come in and stay there. Well, he had... A, two single beds. I had one bed, he had the other, and would sit around and smoke joints at night and blow it out the window so the parents wouldn't know. He had a, this ball that had 
uh, fluorescent paint on it and with a little hook in the ceiling and he would try to get the ball to land on the hook. And when the ball came back again, you had to keep your head down because it would just miss your nose. <laughs> just dumb things that people would do. Well, Stephen was an interesting guy and he ended up becoming a lead singer at the end of the chain reaction, they got a, a another drummer came in, a guy named Barry Shapiro came in, played drums. Stephen learned how to be a lead singer and he was really good at it. He just had a way of carrying a, a crowd. Well, he later became Stephen Tyler and he started the band Aerosmith. Well, Backing up a little bit between the chain reaction and when Aerosmith started, I got a call at Thanksgiving time while in New Hampshire. Stephen and I were living in the, in the big house, which is where his parents and uncle lived during the summer. We stayed there for the winter. We had permission. Thanksgiving Day, I get a call from Barry Reese. Now, Barry Reese worked for Stephen Weiss. And Stephen Weiss was the attorney that most English bands used when they came to the U.S. I mean, there was a lot of them that, that Steve was the attorney for. And one of those bands was the Yardbirds and then Zeppelin and, and that I bands that I worked for. So Barry gives me a call. said, can you come to, to England? Yardbirds are going to do a little tour and... and they want you to come and, and do it. Jimmy asked for me. So I said, sure. Well, it was snowing out. I had to go about 20 miles to get to my father's house so I could get a suitcase and some clothes. Well, that was out of the question. So I ended up putting clothes in, in a paper bag, a shopping, just a regular brown shopping bag. That's took my clothes and a little little tool kit and flew off to merry old London. I took a, a bus from New Hampshire down to Boston because the buses never stopped. They kept running. Get there. I get to the other end. And, and one thing that Steve Weiss told me, he said, don't tell them you're working. Okay. Well, I show up with a toolbox. And my clothes at customs. And this gentleman looks at me and, and what will you be doing here? Oh, I'm here to see Mr. Peter Grant. Oh, one minute. And he leaves, goes and comes back with a manila envelope, one of those eight by 11 or whatever they are, envelopes. My name is on the outside with the flight number. Guy gives it to me and says, your Lori is in the parking lot. Well, Lori to me is a girl's name. I didn't know it, it was a truck. <laughs> well, I finally, I figured it out, but he gives me the thing. I go out, I look, and there's a note from Richard Cole with a map showing me how to get around the roundabouts and to get on the M-way to go south to get to Dover to take a ferry. And I had to be there at a certain time, naturally. 
So now I'm driving on the wrong side of the road, something I've never experienced before, not even being drunk. Driving down the highway, getting I get to Dover, I get on the ferry, everything is working perfectly. Get to the other end. Gotta go to drive to Paris from I forgot the name of the dock you get off at, but so I drive into Paris. The first sign I see for Paris, I go, Well, I better get off. I don't know how big Paris is. Well, I found out real quick what they call Paris is big. It's not all just downtown. It stretches for, it feels like days. You feel like you're in Texas. You just go exit after exit, Paris, Paris, Paris. How can there be so many? I get off and I go, I got this brilliant idea of pulling a cabbie over and telling him, showing him the address of where I got to go and I'll pay him and I'll follow him and I'll get to the gig. So I do this tour with the Yardbirds in Europe and had a great time. Jimmy asked me if I would stay with with um, with him because the Yardbirds had broken up. They had done their last shows. And I kind of knew that from the U.S. because he had mentioned it then. And he said, look, I'm starting this new band. Would you work with me? I went, Oh, Jimmy, I would, you know, I would love to. Well, the same day, Keith Ralph comes up to me and said, I'm starting a new band with Jim McCarty. Would you, we would love to have you come with us. And now I'm drawn because they they were my friends. You get to be friends when you're on the road. It's, it's like a, a marriage of sorts, especially back in the 60s when you had one roadie, you didn't have, a plethora of buses and planes and trucks and people. It was just you and a truck and the band. Yes. <laughs> and that was, and those were great times. So now I've been offered these two jobs in one day to go with these either bands and nobody really had a name for a band. Pagey knew who he was going to have for a bass player, but he didn't know who the drummer or the singer was going to be at the time. And I've read different ways on how Jimmy and Jonesy got together on this, but the way I remember it was that Jimmy called Jonesy. Jonesy wasn't home. He was doing a session. He talked to Jonesy's wife, Mo, who said, yes, John will do it. Didn't even ask John. She just said, yes, he'll, he'll do it. And that's how that, that is how that started from what I remember. And, and I, I, and I remember because we laughed about it a few times, Jimmy going, oh, well, now we know who's, who runs the, that family. <laughs> so, so, so do you, do you feel that kind of the connection with Peter Grant drifted you towards more towards the Jimmy Page side than the key. Well, Jimmy, I had to make a decision and Peter came up and told me, you'll be going with Jimmy. (laughs) (laughs) So why did he even ask you? Yeah, right. Kind of wrap that one up. So I was working basically with Peter Grant bands at the time. 
Nothing wrong with the Yardbirds, nothing wrong with Jimmy's new band, Led Zeppelin. So I lived in London. I, I, I kind of felt like I was an English roadie, not an American roadie. I knew far more English musicians than I knew American musicians at, at that time. You know, there were just the people that I did things with. It wasn't like I was a a groupie or something. They were just my friends. You know, you wake up in the morning, you get a call from Jimmy Page to go do this, go do that, can pick me up at this time because Jimmy didn't have a license. Pick me up at this time or that time and we're going to go do this or go do that. We used to go to auctions. Jimmy's a great auction guy. He has a time period of things that he loves. Art Deco, Art Nouveau period. So Jimmy would go, okay, look, I'm going to go sit down front. Here's my card. Because you got to have a card with a number on it. And he'd get me a card and I'd go sit in the back of the room. And Jimmy would start bidding on something. Well, if somebody else started to bid against him, he would stop and I would start. And, <laughs> and these people would go, oh, geez, this guy's just starting. I guess I better back out. Paige had it down. He knew, he knew this game really well. So he, he would play all different kinds of cool artwork. And that was just driving around with him on, on weekdays or weekends or whatever. Amazing stuff from Henry Smith. Actually, that should be Henry Smith and the Growling Hounds. I'll never edit Growling Dogs out of these podcasts. Moments the Rock is part of the Pantheon group of podcasts. This is great. I'm loving it. Jimmy Page is right and man right from the get-go in the Yardbirds and before and beyond. We'll be back with more of Henry and some John Bonham stories after this short break. And then we'll have more episodes with the Hello Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Uh, Henry in weeks to come. At the beginning of Zeppelin, 
Robert Plant lived in Birmingham in a little town called Kittyminster, just outside of Birmingham, just to the to the west, I think it would be. And he had a, this place, Jennings Farm. Well, Robert was worked on the roads. He, he did tarring, tarmacking on paving the roads. Dog, I don't need your help. <laughs> and J- Jimmy would, after work, Jimmy would have me pick him up, bring him down to Jimmy's place so that they could start rehearsing. But before he let him in the house, he had to clean up. <laughs> Made him he had to take his shoes off and change his clothes. <laughs> Jimmy wouldn't let him in otherwise. <laughs> so this was pre, pre-Bonzo then? There were three of them first and then John Bonham at the end? Well, no, well... Bonham came before the rehearsals started. That was the Keith Moon thing. Mooney mentioned to Jimmy that he knew this great drummer and that he should at least go see him. So Richard, myself, Jimmy, and Mooney all went to this club in Manchester to see this band, the Band of Joy. And the Band of Joy had uh, Bonzo was the drummer. Well, they also had the lead singer that we didn't know anything about. So Paging is sitting there going, yeah, the drummer's awesome. Let's, we'll take the drummer. And he goes, when they take a break, I'm going to go into the dressing room. And I said, okay. And I went with him. We went in and sat down. Jimmy introduced himself like he had to. (laughs) And, that's when Bonzo entered. Well, at the same time, Jimmy was was just head over heels for the singer, which was Robert Plant, because at the time it was going to be Terry Reed was going to be the drummer. I was going to be the singer. Right. It was going to be the singer. But Terry also played guitar. So I don't know what if they were going to have a rhythm guitar player that sang or what. I'm not sure what what that was going to be like. What a great kind of initiation for you, kind of as as Peter Grant and and Jimmy Page were growing into what they became. You were kind of just rolling with it. I I just got drugged along because Page Page didn't have a license and he had to get he had to get to these places. <laughs> So somebody um, had a drive. So when we weren't on the road, my job was to was to drive for Pagey, of which was an absolute pleasure. He's such a gentleman. He's a, a wonderful, wonderful guy. We still talk today, just as friends. Led Zeppelin's legacy will forever be left in place. What do you feel, having been around somebody like Peter Grant? I mean, because I, I subconsciously learned so much from great managers, you know, the Paul McGuinnesses, the Michael yeah. Whitmans and stuff. You know, I've heard these stories, you know, th- through my interest in Led Zeppelin and things, but he never had a contract with the band, did he? No, no, handshake with Jimmy. See, in the beginning, it was just Jimmy and three guys that he hired to work with him. I kind of look at it like they were almost the first boy band. Yeah, yeah. You know, one guy came up with an idea between Jimmy and Peter, and Jimmy then built a band around it, Mm. around the idea with musicians that would fit. 
Because it's funny, because you read about Peter Grant and it's kind of fearless, isn't it? And it's kind of the word intimidating and, and stuff and things like that. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, he was so protective of his act, wasn't he? I mean, if you interfered oh. and took money away from that band, then you had it. And the other thing is, another important person in the mix was Ahmed Ertigan, right? Yes. Peter was a roadie at one time. He went, he worked for, shoot, can't remember the geezer's name, but he worked for this, for a, a, a management company, kind of like I did working with Peter, where I just did whatever bands. And he, this guy handled, ba oh, Don Arden. Don Arden, yeah, yeah. I saw that in his Wikipedia page. Well, Don Arden's got a fair reputation, so, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think Don Arden would have been hanging uh, Peter Grant over a balcony to sign a contract, however. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. So he, what happened with Peter is, and, and what kind of shaped, I think, some of how he thought was that he saw how bad uh, black musicians were treated. And he didn't want his bands, if he was going to be a manager, he didn't want his bands to be treated the way black musicians were. Because those were most of the bands that Arden had. He had a lot of, of, of the, the older black bands. Oh, no. Yeah, I didn't either until I, 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 I knew that. Well, I knew it then, but I, I didn't know it before that. I've read things like, um, you know, Ahmed Ertigan like comes to the band with suggestions of releasing singles and, and Peter says, well, why would we release singles when we can release albums? Because they wanted to put a whole lot of love out and stuff and things like that. And Peter Grant, if I'm not mistaken, rewrote the, the literally the, the model for touring bands because in those yeah. days, the promoters were getting all the money and he was saying, well, 90% of 10% of, of Led Zeppelin is worth more than 90% of most bands. Yeah, and, and that's very true. And that's what Peter being a, a, an ex wrestler, he was a big he was a big man, very large man. He I was a know. he was a really big man until John Bonham died. I mean, I know what you're saying by stature yeah. wise, but I mean that kind of almost like turned into into like big as he was into kind of a timid, like older guy then, wasn't it? It was devastating for him. Yeah. He became a yeah. recluse, didn't he? Yeah, kind of put him, and it wasn't so. I think, I think Peter felt as though maybe he let them down. Really, that's only my thought. Mm, well, you were there. That was my thought: is that Peter felt as though he let them down because Bonzo died, and there were many times Bonzo was almost out of the band. I remember um, an, a, a From conference. You know, and, and yeah, Jimmy didn't like that, but at the same time, they were getting high. So mm. I remember, um, I don't know if you you were probably in the states then, but there was a con. Well, you certainly were. There was a conference in Manchester called In the City, and Peter Grant made a presentation there. You know, and I remember like going in this room. Of course, it was full, and I was kind of on the second row. And he was in one chair, and Tony Wilson was kind of the interview. He was a present. He owned Factory, but he was a presenter for Granada TV as well. And um, he asked him a, the obvious question about, you know, did you ever think of continuing? And, you know, and you could see the look on his face. And he was saying that there is no Led Zeppelin without John Bonham. It was very moving. Yeah. And it it was, even with, with Peter, it would be like, uh, why start another band? 
because nobody's going to be as big as Zeppelin was. And it's like it, you almost feel like you would have failed. And, 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 and that's why I feel like Peter felt as though he failed them I was by sad. not being. And there was nothing he could have done about it. Well, the, the thing is, the thing is, to his credit, I mean, it's easy to say now because he's been past nearly twenty years, hasn't he? But, yeah. So you know, it, but the thing is, it's like you know the passion for the band and the relationship with the label and and what because I read that Ahmed Erdogan met signed Led Zeppelin within fifteen minutes of meeting them, you know. And yep. the thing with Zeppelin, I mean, feel free to interrupt me and tell me I'm wrong. I'm just using stuff that I've learned over the years from articles I've le- I've read and stuff and things. They never got any good press or anything. They had nobody behind them. They did it all from just playing to fans. I mean, talk about old school or inventing a model that has never failed. Because that's what happened with whether it was even Bush, never mind U2 and bands like that, that just slept around and played every shithole and worked their way up and had a fan base that was so dedicated. Yeah, we we never played shitholes. Right from the beginning, you didn't play clubs and things. No, no, no. They didn't come up as a band playing every shithole in the U.S. We played some small theaters. So you never went out to play to 50 people or anything? You went out to like a few hundred from the beginning? Pretty much so, yeah. That's amazing. And would you think that was people just following Jimmy Page's career? People following Jimmy Page's career, thinking it was the New Yardbirds which was what they started because that first tour we did in Scandinavia was as the new Yardbirds and only because they had signed contracts already for the Yardbirds and then the Yardbirds broke up. Peter being the brilliance that he was said, well, we'll just hold those gigs and call these guys the new Yardbirds. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. And it wasn't to keep that name. It was to fulfill the obligations that the band had already had. Yeah, well, I suppose it's those days of like formerly the Yardbirds on a poster, you know, to try to yeah. make people and, know that they're worth seeing. And it, it was smart because those were the smallest gigs that we played, which were gigs that the Yardbirds were going to headline. Have it, so have they it, weren't, sorry, they have weren't it, really little clubs like the Marquee Club yeah. or, or any of those places. And there was nothing wrong with doing the Marquee Club because I mean, it's oh hell like, no, yeah, 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 no, no, it's a great spot. But they, a lot of bands start by playing in a place like the Marquee Club. Mm. And I mean, even though Jimmy Page was was kind of pretty young when from Yardbirds into thing, he was even doing session playing before that, wasn't he? I mean, he was a guitar player yeah. probably in his mother's womb. Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> you, yeah, that, you, he big. It was Jimmy. There were two gyms that were session musicians in London during the 60s. Big Jim Sullivan yeah. and Little Jimmy Page. <laughs> little Jimmy <laughs> It would have been great if it had been like a blues singer on a, on a kind of on the beach, yeah, yeah. That first, was great. First rapper, Little Jim Page. <laughs> I, I know like you weren't, you know, your, your job was like on the road and stuff, but I mean, I, I kind of haven't worked, you know, for record companies and seeing different ways of different bands making it and stuff. I always see the management as such an important player in the in the bigger machine, so to speak. I often wonder if 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 Zeppelin would have become the institution they were if they'd assigned to a different label. I actually say that about you too, 
because you two allowed that band, uh, Island Records allowed that band to develop when most labels would have dropped them. And what CEO, president of a record company, would have you telling them, this is how we're going to do it? Like, we're not releasing singles. They put so much pressure on them to do what they can market and promote, don't they? Yeah, exactly. Well, was a different model. about that is, is the cards fell for them, just like they were supposed to. Armit Erdogan taking them on. Well, what was going on in, in Atlantic at that time was a guy, Mario Medias, who was a record promoter. And he worked for Atlantic. At that time, he was doing the music that was the music of the time, which was not rock and roll. He went to Ahmed Erdogan and said, I want to start promoting rock and roll bands. I think they're going to be the next big thing. And Ahmed let him do it. So when Ahmed was signing that deal with Zeppelin, he also knew that he had a guy that he could promote it because the guy wanted to do it. It was in his heart. And Mario Medias has... To me, has a lot to do with the underground of why Zeppelin made it. Oh wow, that's fantastic, Henry. That's amazing. I, I just, um, like I say, I, I love the fact that you know when when you know champions, so to speak, come in and change the industry as such. Because so many yeah. people are frightened to have to play the corporate game to not to satisfy the investors and stuff and things like that. And I know we live in a different time and different place, but I just wonder if anything like that will ever be recreated. I mean. The only time that band has reformed was for the Army Ertigan Foundation. And I know that story because you told it me personally. But just tell us, like, your invitation. <laughs> oh. Didn't the internet well, I, go I, down? I, the internet went down for tickets, didn't it? Pardon? The internet actually went down, the amount of oh, requests yeah. for oh, tickets. Yeah. Yes, it did when they were trying to sell the tickets off. Well, they didn't try. It, <laughs> it just it happened. <laughs> The only band I, that could have done a year in one venue and still sold out. I, I get a call from this guy, Peter Mensch, who was managing um, Chili Peppers and and bands like that at the time. He and Cliff Bernstein. Peter goes, Jimmy wants to give you tickets to come see the band play for Ahmed's thing and he goes I always thought you were kidding me when you said you worked for Zeppelin and I so why would I kid you and he goes Paige really wants to make sure you have these tickets so please let him know that I get that I got them for you okay fine well I get a call from Tyler who says I gotta go to London Paige Oh, I, no, I got to back that up. Uh, Tyler and I went to London to give Paige uh, an achievement, Lifetime Achievement Award. Huh? And Les Paul, I had gotten a guitar from Les Paul to give to Jimmy, which was a black Les Paul, like the black beauty that he lost or got stolen from him to give to him at this thing. But Jimmy didn't know I was coming. Oh. No, it was kind of kept quiet that I was, I was going to be there. So we, we show up at this luncheon 
and the cameras are all flashing for Tyler and everything. And and uh, Ross Hathlin, who's a photographer, comes over and says, I want to get pictures of Jimmy and and Steven together. And I went, all right, great. Come on, let's go. So I turned the corner. Paige and I saw each other eye to eye. I mean, it was just like glued. And we both got a little tearful because I hadn't seen him in a while. And it was very cool. Was, so it was all kind of set up. <laughs> and I remember what you told me when you came home, because I was expecting you to call and I hadn't heard for a couple of days. So I got on the phone and asked you what it was like. It was incredible. Absolutely. I'd never heard the band so good. Pagey played so well. It was just, it was magic. It was meant to happen. Even, even Jason, Jason Bonham, the band couldn't remember some of the tempos for the songs some of the changes during rehearsals, not Jason. Jason knew everything exactly the way it was on the record. And he kind of directed the band through all those rehearsals to do that. Wow, that's incredible. When Jason was six years old, he would sit on my knee in rehearsals for Zeppelin at Robert's house, he'd sit on my knee and play drums. I'd make the faces that his father would make you know, and hitting the drums, and it was hysterical. <laughs> well, I can't imagine that that kind of, you know, Keith Moon recommending John Bonham. I can't imagine those, night out, those nights out with those two. Oh, my God. <laughs> Mooney was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> he was such a, a gentle, nice guy, but he loved to have fun. But they happen to be amazing drummers as well as, like, the, dare we say, yeah. decadence in their lives, you know, of kind of not helping their bodies. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> did you um? Did you kind of was it? Were the days when you wondered? You looked around and think, I hope he makes it to the gig. You know, he didn't make it to one gig. Well, he didn't make it with the band to one gig. Schenectady, New York. I'm up there. Got all the gear set up. The band come in in limos. Everybody but Bonham. And I go, where's John? Oh, he's back in New York. We couldn't get him up. He got, <laughs> he got too pissed last night. So he's going to have to find his own way here or he's out of the band. Well, about an hour and a half later, this New York City cab <laughs> driving into the backstage area. And it's Bonzo, $200 cab ride. <laughs> in those days. In those days, from New York City to Schenectady. So he made it to the gig. <laughs> yeah, to do, and he made the gig. Nothing like keeping you guessing, eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, because I don't play drums. We already knew that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, never mind. You probably could have. You probably been thrown in the band, and you never would have got out. You know, man, you have to get paroled from Led Zeppelin, don't you? Because once you're in, you're in. <laughs> you're in. <laughs> Must be amazing to look back on all that, Henry, and and see what an opportunity you had, and and you know, I mean, experience that you gained that took you into other things. Maybe we can pick up another time with some other stuff if you ever have, you know, wanted sure. to tell more. Um, yeah, we haven't gotten very far yet, <laughs> Henry. It's been an absolute privilege. Thank you so much for um, for giving me the time, and uh, we'll revisit this. It's been a real pleasure. Oh, uh, the pleasure was all mine. Thank you.
You've been listening to Moments That Rock, part of the Panting Group of Podcasts. I'm your host, Tony Michaelides, and we'll be back next week with some more gems. Uh, this was Henry Smith, who, like I said before, was with uh, the Yardbirds and then working with Jimmy Page right through the career of that amazing band, Led Zeppelin. Hope you enjoyed it. Subscribe, come back for more, and tell your friends. We'll be back next week. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.